Well, good morning, and uh, I'm so glad you're all here today. We get to talk about a pretty familiar passage, but before we get into it, I want to kind of set the stage with thinking about something that all of us have done at one point, and for the, most of us, it's not remembered on video or anything like that, which is a good thing. But I'm thinking about the fact that at some point in your life, in the middle of the night, you cried out for mommy or daddy because of something that scared you. Could have been a sound, could have been a monster under the bed that some reason disappears when the light comes on. Could be all sorts of different things, a weird sound. It could be that you were sick. And what do us parents do? We go running. And when we get there, we don't say, stop it, kid, there's no monster. What's wrong with you? No, we go, don't be scared. And then we say what? I am here, right? Meager old me. I got no power over monsters. I've got no power over the throw-ups and the barfs. I've got no power over scary dreams. But for some reason, mommy or daddy showing up and just simply saying, I'm here, is enough to calm a child down. Now, I think about that in comparison. Now, imagine a babysitter. Whether it's the babysitter's first day or their 10th day on the job, and the child's trying to go to bed and cries out, and the babysitter goes in and goes, I'm here. And really, what's the kid going to do? Huh, you're not who I want. So what? You're here. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. So what's the difference between the two, right? What's the difference between the babysitter and me? There's, there's no difference. We have the same amount of supernatural power over monsters. We have the same amount of power over the barfs and over every scary sound. The difference is, is that the child knows the parent. The child has a relationship with the parent. Even though the parent doesn't have the supernatural powers that we all wish we could have, be honest, you do, we don't have anything different than the babysitter except for the fact that the child knows us and trusts us and has a relationship with us. So Matthew here wants us to be in that same situation that our children would be when we run to them in the middle of the night or a grandparent that runs in the middle of the night. He, want, we want, he wants us to see that that's the kind of Jesus that we have a relationship right here and right now, that we can go to him and he is there with us in the midst of it. But good news, he's not a weakling like we are. He has supernatural power to meet all of our needs. And in matter of fact, he controls every single storm. So let's look into this together. First off, we need to remember that when we look at a story like this about Jesus and his disciples, it's really easy to get caught up on all the, the people around Jesus. This is a very famous passage. And Peter gets to be kind of the focus of attention here. But that's not what Matthew's doing. Matthew's not writing the gospel of Peter. No, he's writing the gospel of Jesus the Christ, as recounted by Matthew. So we need to not miss the point here. The point is Jesus. And the point is, who is this Jesus? It's not about Peter. Peter just is one of the, the characters involved in this account. Same with the disciples. Because look at this, look at Jesus' response that Frank just read a second ago. It's not, Peter, come on, get your eyes on me, eyes up here. It's not, hey, Peter, you need more faith. Instead, it's, have no fear it is I. Or another way to say it is, don't be scared, I'm here. 
This is what this passage is about. So the flow of this passage that we're going to look at today starts with fear, it moves to faith, and then ends in worship. I know for some of you that have been in Baptist circles for a while, you expected all three words to begin with F. I'm sorry, I could not come up with a word for worship that starts with F. You just have to be disappointed. I'm sorry. But the point of this passage is that Jesus is demonstrating not only his power, but his compassion. And the disciples need to respond correctly to it. How do we respond to the fact that Jesus is all-powerful and he's all-loving? Those two together should change how we see every single situation. So for us, we need to see Jesus rightly so that we can see the storms of our life rightly and we can see what's actually happening in it. So let's dig in. Verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, now remember, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 men plus the 15,000 women and children. He's just broke the, the, loaves and fi- uh, the, the loaves and the fish, broke them up, and there's hundreds of pieces left over. Jesus goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So that word, the the words for long ways from the land, if we were to translate it literally, it would say many stadia, which we would go, great, I don't know what that means, thanks. But a stadia is about 600 feet. So what we think is going on here is we think that these, these fishermen are several miles out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake in the northern part of Israel. It's about eight miles wide. So they're in the dead center of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the water. So this fourth watch means between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., right? 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Early morning. Some of you are very familiar with those early mornings, aren't you? This is the first of three miracles in this passage. The first one is is that Jesus sees them. So this is the middle of the night. There's no lights. There's no moon. There's a storm, right? There's no moon. There's no stars. And Jesus goes, I can see those guys right over there. They're struggling. Praise the Lord that Jesus sees all. So they had left probably around dark, probably about, so this, we think this is in the early, uh, early spring, late winter, so the sun goes down about six o'clock, so they got in the boat as the sun was going down. Not uncommon. The Galilean fishermen would, would fish at night. It was the best place to fish was during the evening. The fish would come up and they would get caught. Now these guys in the boat, all 12 of them, Four of them are fishermen, so they're not worried. They've seen this before. It's no big deal, right? They're out on the water at night, but the wind starts blowing in their faces. I'm sure the other eight were not super excited about this. So they began rowing. Their sails would have been no good. The wind hitting them in the face, there's no way for them to go through it with their sails up. So they're rowing, and they're rowing. Now talk about a crazy workout. This is an eight-hour rowing session. Anybody want to sign up for that? So they've been rowing for eight hours straight, and at between three and six in the morning, Jesus sees them and goes, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to go walk to them. Notice it says he was walking. This is not struggling against the winds. This isn't Jesus, you know, kind of pushing through it. It reminds me, and I don't know how this happens, but every year when we have an ice storm and it's really windy, right, you guys turn the news on, and there's that one poor soul for the news station. I don't know how they picked that person, but he or she's got to go stand in Troutdale, 
right? And they're standing there, right? And they're kind of leaning sideways and it's blowing. It's really windy. Really? Same as last time. I kind of wonder, like, is this like rookie hazing or freshman hazing? You know, it's like, ha, oh, you're new. You're going to Troutdale. Sorry. I guess there's worse places in Oregon to go. But standing there, right, leaning against the wind, this is not the word here. The word walking means a stroll. Jesus is strolling on the water. Just imagine that, something that is impossible for us to do, unless it's frozen, but then it doesn't count. This is liquid water. He's walking on it. He's strolling on it, easy on it. So what does this lead the disciples to do? Well, this is the first thing we've seen. This is fear. It leads to fear. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So it's a ghost. That's an interesting direction to go for these disciples. Right? It's pitch black and they see an outline of a person walking towards them and they go, it must be a ghost. Now the reason for this is because the sea was terrifying. Especially for those other eight guys. The sailors, they were kind of okay with it, but all Israelites were scared of the ocean, were scared of the sea. Why? Because it was considered a place of evil, a place of death. Some myths taught at this time that if you died at sea, your soul wouldn't go to rest and you would haunt people. So these Jewish men are scared. Think about some of the interactions they've already had with this Sea of Galilee. Jesus casts out demons. They go into the pigs. Where do the pigs run to? The sea. Jesus didn't make them go there. The demons chose to go to the sea. Right? No one can control this sea. For whole months out of the year, four or five months out of the year, all the sailors in the Mediterranean don't go out into the Med. It's too dangerous. It's scary. Unless they want to go and die. See, unlike us, we, we do brave weather in our cars. These men knew that they couldn't brave the weather during certain times of year. But the Bible says the seas are controlled by God. Think about the Red Sea, the parting of the sea. I mean, the Israelites must have been like, oh, look it, we're standing at the ocean. We're done. And God goes, no, that's easy. I'll just part it. Or think about the seas with Jonah. Jonah gets thrown into the water, and as soon as he hits the water, the seas calm down. God calms the seas. Psalm 65 tells us this. The one by whose strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas and the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. Psalm 107, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them in their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves were hushed. I love that. He says, take heart. Now that's kind of a weird phrase. It's the literal translation. It's what it says. But what it means is, have courage. Don't be discouraged. Have courage. It is I. The New Living Translation says, have courage, I am here. I love that. Three little phrases. Take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Notice it's not take heart, it's going to all get better. Right? Positive thinking. It's not take heart, I'm going to stop the storm here in a minute, just wait. It's not take heart, you big baby. It's not that bad. It's take heart, I am here. Now some of us would be like, Okay, all right, you know, I get this passage, Pastor John, it's all about being afraid and being scared. I mean, you even started off today talking about being scared of monsters, and you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, I've never been scared of anything, 
right? I'm not afraid. Fear's not a word I use. Okay, fine. If you think that, I, I try to think that. Maybe it's trying to be all macho and all that. But let's translate it for us. How about we say something like, do not be anxious. Ooh, now that word might hit a little close to home. Do not be apprehensive. Or how about this one? Because I know you all do it. I know I do it. Do not worry. Do not worry. I am here. Do not be scared. Do not be anxious. Do not fret. Choose any word you want there. It's what Jesus is saying. Don't go that route. You don't need to. And why? Because he is the Lord of the storm. He rescues his people out of the storm. Job chapter 9 verse 8 says this, You alone who stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. This means he stomped them down. He has complete control over him. See, no man or woman has ever done this before. If the Lord Jesus commands the waves to uphold him, we need to understand the waves have no choice because their maker has spoken. Their master has spoken. If he said, waves, I want you to be solid so I can walk on you, they don't get to go, pass. They go, yes, sir. We will continue until you tell us otherwise. So why do the waves and storms in our lives, whether they're literal, physical waves and storms or a metaphor, why do they terrify us? It's because we're the exact opposite of Jesus. We're not their master, are we? We're not their maker. We're not in control. We don't know what they're going to do to us. We don't know if that next wave is going to be even bigger than the previous one. And so we freak out like the disciples. But not Jesus. Jesus steps up and says, they're only permitted to do what I allow them to do. Now the disciples at this point don't get it. They're going to get it eventually. But we're meant to, as we look back at this, to go, who is this Jesus? And he's answering it to us right now. He's telling us who he is. He is the one who is in the storm with us. He's the maker of the storm. He's the controller of the storm because he is God. Therefore, the disciples should take heart and rebuke their fears, but they don't. As many of you know, I quote Charles Spurgeon all the time. Charles Spurgeon is a, uh, a preacher from the 1800s with a big beard and a British accent, which I'm not doing either of those. But Spurgeon writes this about the disciples. They were already at their wit's end, and the ghost put an end to all their courage. One can almost hear their shrieks of alarm. It does not say they were merely worried. Before, many of them were fishermen, thus they had no dread of natural forces. But a spirit, now that was too much. They were at their worst at this moment, but listen to this. Yet if they had known, they were on the verge of their best. Because the best moment the disciples have ever had in the book of Matthew to this point is verse 33. When they cry out and say, we worship you, son of God. And I love that. So this is a lesson about faith. Now faith means we're to have confidence and we're to have courage in Jesus Christ. See, it's not enough to just have faith. You have to have it in something. So the nature of our faith is looking to Jesus because he is our perfecter. Look at what Hebrews 12:2 says. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That word founder means he's the place where the faith springs from and he's the one that makes it perfect because it's in him. You show you have faith by what you do in the storm and how you respond. See, our world says faith is I agree to something. So here's a list of things. Okay, I agree, therefore I have faith. I'm a part of this religion. That's not what it is. 
Faith is committing and following Jesus. What faith is, is trust put into action. I love that definition, right? Because I can have faith in all sorts of things, but true faith is saying, I trust it, and then my actions show that I trust it. Like sitting in a chair. I can have faith that a chair will hold me, but that's not really faith. That's kind of our squishy world's version of it. True faith is trusting and then backing it up by sitting on it. If we're honest, this kind of faith is impossible unless we know the one who is there. It can't be comforting, right? If we have just faith in goodness, faith in things are going to turn out right, that's faith in an unknown, something with no power. That's faith in the babysitter. But faith in Christ is, I'm here, and I'm here with power. Let's look at verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. They go from, it's a ghost, to, if it's you, Lord. Interesting that you can see their heart changing a little bit. But we need to remember, this is not about what Jesus can do for us. It's about who is this one walking on the waves. Matthew is not telling us this story to go, hey, if you're just like Peter, you can get out of the boat and walk on water. That's not the point. The point is, who is this one on the water? Who is this? This can't just be a man. This can't just be some superhero. No, this is the God of the universe. So Peter starts to get that the waves have to obey Jesus. So Peter goes, if the waves obey you and you tell the waves to hold me up, I know they will hold me. You are the Lord of the storm. You tell me and it will happen. That if it's you is probably better understood as since it's you, Lord. Since it's you, I can see it's you. Tell these waves and they will do it. And then Jesus says, come. Now this is not a, come on, I guess. No, it's a command. He's saying, get out of the boat right now. And he does. And it says, Peter walked on the water and came to Jesus. The next thing we see now is we see faith. We see faith. Verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Notice right there, he did everything, but he forgot what Jesus said of don't be afraid. He forgot that part. And beginning to sink, he cried out. Now, beginning to sink is a weird phrase for water, right? Beginning to sink is what we do in quicksand. When was the last time you jumped into the water and you began to sink? Now, those of you that went to Israel, you don't get to comment because the Dead Sea doesn't count. Right? Dead Sea, it's 37% salt. You just float on top. You try to jump in. You kind of bounce there. But the rest of us, we jump into the pool. We don't slowly go down like an elevator. So what is happening here? You should sink like a rock. Peter knows he's going to sink like a rock. What's happening? He begins to sink. He's slowly starting to go under the water. What does this mean? It means that Jesus' mercy on Peter is so great that even in this moment, of unbelief and fear, he doesn't let him sink like he deserves. He lets him go down slow. And this slow sinking leads to the best three words Peter is going to ever utter. Lord, save me. This is the call all of us must make if we are to be with Christ, if we are to be with the one who says, I am here with you in the storm. Not, hey, you know, give me some more strength so I can save myself. Not, hey, I have to be good, so Lord, help me be good. It's, Lord, save me. 
Lord, save me. So where are you sinking right now? Some of you are there right now, aren't you? How far down do you need to go into the water before you cry out? Some of you are up to your knees. Some of you are up to your shoulders. Maybe it's to your ears. Maybe some of you are under the water. Maybe some of you have hit the very bottom. What's absolutely the most horrendously sad thing in the world is that there are people who are sitting on the bottom and are not willing to cry out to their Heavenly Father. Not willing to cry out to Christ and go, Lord, save me. Peter knew where he was headed and he cried out before he got there. Verse 31, I love this. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. One author writes, there's something profound here. Peter began to sink when his faith shifted from the firmness of Jesus' words to the instability of his circumstances. And when he did, Jesus let him sink slowly. And this was grace. Why? Because Peter's sinking produced a cry to God. It produced a cry to Christ. It quickly got Peter out of the world and himself and to the source of his true salvation. Notice the word there is not Jesus eventually reached out. You know, Jesus let him go down a couple of times to learn his lesson. Peter probably needs three times, right? But it says, it says immediately. It says Jesus grabs a hold of him. And no matter how big or small Peter is, Peter's weight is not enough to pull Jesus under the waves. The waves are still holding him. He pulls him out. And as soon as he gets out, what does he say? Does he go, Peter, come on, you've dishonored me. Do I need to put you back under again? Do, do you really need another time? No, instead, as soon as Peter cries out with that heart-wrenching, Lord, save me, he grabs him immediately and pulls him out. Verse 31 again, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. See, the thing is here, Peter's faith is faltering, but it's still faith. Peter's faith falters when he stops looking to the one who's the master of the storm. Now, some people will say, if you have faith like Peter's, you can walk on water anytime you want. That's complete nonsense. Just because you have faith in Jesus does not make you co-sovereign of the universe, does not make you co-sovereign Lord of the storms. Instead, it's this one is pulling you up and holding you up. And this is huge. Peter's power did not enable him to walk on water. He didn't dig up extra faith that made him do this. No, it's Jesus that does it. Only Jesus has the power. Now, when we think about walking on water, this is one of those things that's like, this is just mind-boggling that this is something that could be done, a miracle of this magnitude. Obviously, raising people from the dead and, and healing people, but water is just even more insane. But I want to make, make a statement here that, that this is a small miracle meant to post, point us to the bigger miracles that Jesus accomplished. The first one is our salvation. Saving a soul from hell is way more of a miracle than making a person walk on water. Because here's the thing, the Bible's very clear on this. We are dead in our sins, which means, Ephesians chapter 2, which means we have nothing that will make us right with God. We cannot be good enough to make us right with God. And yet he steps in and he says, I'm going to make these dead bones live. I'm going to give them life. John 6, 44 says, No one can come to the Father but through me. 
Jesus is saying, I will pull you in. See, we need to understand that, that for most of us, we're drowning in the water, and the salvation is all of Jesus reaching out and grabbing us before we even think to try to hold on to him. So that's the first impossibility. The second impossibility is our pre- perseverance. What it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we need help to do it. We can't do it on our own. And so this, this walking on water is key. Because look what happens. As soon as Peter walks on the water, falls in, Jesus pulls him out, is the storm done? No, it's still going. Jesus walks up to the boat, is the storm gone? No, it's still going. See, the promise here is not that Jesus takes away all of our things that are happening, that are bad. That's not the promise put forth in the Bible. Some people put that promise out there and try to claim Bible verses for it. That's not what it says. What it says is, you are going to be in a mess. Jesus comes in, and he makes it better by being there with you. Remember, don't be afraid. I am here. I am in control. Now, praise be to God, sometimes he does pull us out of those circumstances. But that's not the promise he's giving here. The promise he's giving here is, you have me in the storm. You are not alone. And unlike a parent who has no power, I control the storm, and it is within my control to stop. And when I stop it, it will be for your good. When I allow it to stay there, it's for your good. But the good is that you get him. Peter is starting to get this. The disciples are starting to get this. This is how Paul can say, no, in all things we are more than conquerors. Not because of our power that we have inside of us, but because of the one that is a holding on to us. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. It matters who your faith is in. You can have little faith, but if your little faith rests on Jesus, it is mighty. And I love this. The sea was calm. Again, Jesus stops the sea. Peter succumbed to fear and took his eyes off Jesus. His failure, though, is not the point. Because if we're honest, if we look at the Bible, all 66 books, I mean, the recurring thing of humans is failure, whether it's Israel or Peter or the disciples, the only person that doesn't fail in the entire Bible is Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised here that the disciples get this wrong. The point is not, Peter failed, don't be like Peter. Israel failed, don't be like Israel. No, the point is, Peter's failure, though bad, is not catastrophic because of Jesus. See, the thing is, Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, but Jesus never takes his eyes off of Peter. We have to get that. That our Lord's eyes do not leave us. Remember where he was? He was on top of the mountain miles and miles away and he saw them. He knew what they were going through. Peter was caught because Jesus never stopped looking. Jesus loves us whether our faith is strong, whether it's vacillating, whether it's up and down. So therefore, because Jesus loves us, in the midst of that, we should not fear what we're going through or what's coming. Nothing in the Bible can make us, the Bible says, nothing can make us fear anything if we trust Jesus. The Bible says, nothing on earth, nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing that we encounter if we're in Jesus should cause us to fear. So how do we get to that? Fear seems like a natural response. We should fear things, right? Big hairy tarantulas, fear them, it's okay. So how do we, we get this fear? What, what, where, how do we make this into faith? What does that look like? Well, the way we go from fear to faith is through worship. Through worship. 
Let's look at the next verse there. Verse 30, uh, I'm sorry, verse 33. I'm going to get my pages right. There we go. Verse 33. Those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, see, Jesus had already saved them from the storm. Back in chapter 8, remember they were out there in the storm. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, and they're like, we're dying. Jesus goes, peace, be still. The disciples go, what sort of guy is this? It's kind of like what the Nazareth, the people from his hometown, who said, whose son is this? But the disciples get it. They go, he's the son of God. He is God in the flesh. Now, they're a long ways from getting this all together, but they're starting. We need to understand how huge this is, right? These are good monotheistic Jews, mono, one, theistic God, meaning one God. So when they begin saying, you are God, we're going to worship you, they're saying something that would have been foreign to them. This miracle, though, was so overwhelming because Jesus did what only God can do. And the Psalms make that clear. Only God has the power of the storm. Only God can walk through the waves. And Jesus is here doing it. How many times do you think they looked out at the water? Especially the guys that had to walk, right? Remember I told you it was eight miles across? It's about 20 miles to walk around the top. How many times did they look at it and go, man, I wish I could walk on water. I'd get like straight home in just like a few minutes. I mean, come on, you guys, you guys have driven in Portland traffic, right? How many times have you been like, could I just beam myself to work, please, or fly? See, it's so easy for Christ, but for us, it's just, it's a pipe dream. We could never imagine it. This is the one who not only walks on water, but he calms the storm. The winds ceased not died down, started kind of a little fluttering and then down to nothing. No, it was done. The word here is stopped abruptly. So the wind is done like that. Never happened before. This was the final miracle. Now the disciples refer to him for the first time here. They're going to they're gonna get this as we continue to go through. But see, the point here is we need to live in confidence, not in fear, not in worry, not in anxiety. We have to have confidence. Because if Jesus can walk on water, he can deliver us from our sins. When he tells the disciples, do not fear, it is I, it is Jesus saying, I got this. I am here. I have the power. Now, we can't see Jesus, but the promises are still there. I am with you always, he says. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These statements are as true today for us as they were for those who they wrote them to. So worshiping, this worshiping that they're doing is seeing him as he is and then responding correctly. You see how worship and faith go together? Faith is, I see this, I trust this person, and I now act on it. Worshiping is the same way. I see him and then I respond correctly. As much as we use the word worship for a style of music or a certain kind of song, that's not what it's about. That can lead to worship, just as a, a sermon can lead to worship, just as a sunrise can lead to worship. Worship is seeing God for who he is and responding correctly. Sometimes it's with tears. Sometimes it's with adoration. Sometimes it's with song. But it's responding to him correctly. You can do this on a mountaintop. You can do this in a storm. You can do this in a worship gathering. Verse 34. And when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. So is the promise here that Jesus will get you out of every storm? 
That there will be no storms in the Christian life? No. Is the promise that you have a lot of faith, the storms can't touch you, and they will never happen? If your faith is strong enough, you can tell the storms to stop? No. The point of this is we need to see Jesus rightly so that when whatever comes our way, we are ready and able to endure it because we have our hands firmly in Jesus' hands. There's no promise of ease or deliverance from threat or illness. But Jesus does say, don't worry, I'm here. Don't be afraid, I'm here. Don't be scared, don't be anxious, don't be apprehensive. As a matter of fact, this do not be afraid is in the, in the book of Matthew eight separate times. Some people have counted them, and there's well over 300 of them. Somebody said once there was 365. I couldn't count them all. I didn't, I didn't find them all. But there's over 300 times in the Bible where God says, either through his own voice, through Jesus, or through an angel, don't be afraid. Do you think he's repeating that for a reason? Teaching is about repetition and getting it out there. We need to hear this. The reason we shouldn't fear is because of who is in control. I found a story that I think illustrates this as we wrap up. It's about a man and a woman, and they're on a a, a ship together. The man is the captain of the ship, and his wife is there in the the headquarters, whatever you call the place where they do the steering. He's right there, and a storm begins to hit, and the boat's going all over the place, and it's storms going through, and she's getting more and more anxious, and she looks at her husband, and her husband's just standing there, very calm. And of course, you know what it does? It annoys her. (laughs) And she goes, what, what, why aren't you freaking out? What's your problem? And he calmly walks over to the wall behind her and grabs a sword. Now, where do you think this is going, right? Takes the sword out and points it right at her heart. And she chuckles. And he goes, why are you not afraid? This sword is really sharp and I could run you through in an instant. She responds, yeah, but I'm not afraid of a sword in my husband's hand. He responds, neither am I afraid of a storm because I know whose hands it's in. My God and his son manage the sword, manage the storm. So the impossible is made possible at Christ's command. Walking on water, our salvation and enduring as Christians is made certain because of Christ's command. He calms the storm. He walks on water like it's no big deal. He is there with us in our storm. This is the same Jesus that we want to meet here today. Do you know him? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this story, Lord, this true story that recounts this amazing miracle that your son worked. Not only that, Lord, but like everything else, the miracle was there to teach us about him and about you. And so, Lord, we just, we pray that we would get it. That whatever storm we may find ourselves in, how far deep we've sunk or just beginning to sink, that, Lord, you are there. All we need to do is reach out and say, Lord, save me. I pray that we would do that. I pray for those who have done that and maybe we've still got our eyes off, the, off, of, off of you and we've got it onto the things of this world. I pray that we would return and say, Lord, I need you. Save me. Bring me back into your protective grasp. 
Lord, we need you so greatly. In Jesus' name, amen.